The Daily 202 is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 23rd. In today's news, the Supreme Court lets President Trump's ban on transgender troops go into effect. An Iowa senator says she was physically assaulted by her husband. And the 2020 South Carolina primary takes on outsize importance. But first, the big idea. The union representing IRS employees warned that many of their members who have been forced to work without pay are deciding to skip work due to financial hardship. This could delay your tax refund. The Trump administration last week ordered 30,000 IRS workers back to their offices so they can process refunds. The goal is to minimize pain for regular people. But employees across the country, some in coordinated protest, others out of financial necessity because they're desperate for income, won't be clocking in. The move signals the potential for civil servants to slow or cripple government functions as the political stalemate continues in Washington. Department of Agriculture meat inspectors have begun to call in sick. TSA agents at airports have been calling in sick as well. And federal law enforcement agencies say the shutdown is increasing stress among agents and undermining active investigations. Not receiving pay for more than a month has taken a toll on employees across the government, but especially on those who aren't in high salary jobs. These IRS employees who were summoned back from furlough to process tax refunds make between $25,000 and $51,000 a year, depending on their seniority. And in an irony of ironies, the shutdown has forced the State Department to postpone an international conference about how to improve border security. The gathering was scheduled to take place next month in Scotland, with a goal of preventing the proliferation and transfer of conventional weapons and weapons of mass destruction across borders. But the people working on this subject, seemingly of such grave importance to our national security, have been furloughed. Meanwhile, the political posturing continues on day 32 of the shutdown. Lawmakers agreed yesterday to hold more show votes that won't do anything to end the shutdown. The Senate will vote tomorrow on competing measures from Trump and the Democrats. Both are expected to fail. The Supreme Court's decision yesterday to decline Trump's request for an expedited review of DACA has weakened the president's hand in negotiations. If the court sticks to its normal procedures, the justices won't hear arguments until the court's new term starts in October. That means that dreamers will be protected until at least next year. With that decided, Trump's offer to suspend efforts to deport the dreamers become less appealing to moderate lawmakers who are already skeptical of what he offered this weekend. Meanwhile, Trump is preparing two different versions of his State of the Union address, and he says he plans to deliver it next Tuesday whether Nancy Pelosi lets him come to the House chamber or not. We're not sure where exactly the White House is exploring besides the House, where State of the Union addresses have been delivered since Woodrow Wilson started the tradition in 1913. But yesterday, the Speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives said Trump called him personally to thank him for offering up the legislature in Raleigh as a venue. Trump also called the Speaker of the Michigan State House, who offered up his chamber in Lansing. For her part, Pelosi remains adamant Democrats will not vote to fund the wall. But several of her moderate members are pushing for a compromise that would give Trump money to do just that. A group of centrist House Democrats who are vulnerable in 2020 want the Speaker to propose a compromise that the President could get behind. Colin Peterson, a centrist Democrat from a red Minnesota district, told a local radio station yesterday, quote, 
Give Trump the money. I'd give him the whole thing. Why are we fighting over this? And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the Supreme Court allowed Trump's transgender troop ban to go into effect as it works its way through the lower courts. The justice has lifted nationwide injunctions that had kept the administration's policy from being implemented. The policy reverses an Obama administration rule that would have opened the military to transgender men and women and instead bars those who identify with a gender different from the one assigned at birth who are seeking to transition. The court's five conservatives, including Brett Kavanaugh, allowed the restriction to go into effect while the court decides whether to consider the case on its merits. The four liberal justices would have kept the injunctions in place. The high court also announced it will consider a New York City gun law, the first time the justices have taken up a Second Amendment case in nearly a decade. The decision to hear the case in the term that begins in October may signal that the reinforced conservative majority is ready to examine more laws that restrict gun rights. New York's law permits transporting handguns only to firing ranges within the city. Those who challenge the law have licenses to keep handguns at their homes. Petitioners include those who want to take their guns to firing ranges or competitions outside the city, and one who wanted to take the gun to his second home upstate. Number two, in a divorce filing, Senator Joni Ernst alleges that her husband mentally and emotionally abused her and once physically assaulted her while she was in office. In a sworn affidavit filed in court yesterday, the Iowa Republican wrote, quote, We went through a very dark and troubling time in our marriage. She said she very nearly filed for divorce after a night where they argued and, quote, it became physical. Ernst said she fled to her mother's house with her daughter in the middle of the night. She says her husband, Gail, followed. According to the senator, the next day, a victim's advocate at the courthouse performed an examination of her throat and head. The advocate wanted to take Ernst to the hospital, according to the court filing, but Ernst declined, explaining that she was embarrassed and humiliated and didn't want voters to know. Ernst, who's up for re-election next year in one of the most competitive races in the country, also said in the court filing that she turned down Trump's offer to be his running mate in 2016 because her husband was jealous of her. She wrote, quote, he hated any successes I had and would belittle me and get angry anytime I achieved a goal. Number three, Bernie Sanders used a visit to the early primary state of South Carolina yesterday to pitch himself to black voters in a manner that differed starkly from his 2016 campaign. The Vermont senator laying the groundwork for another run said that racial equality must be central to combating economic inequality. The refrain of his speech was, quote, racism is alive. The changes from Sanders's last campaign were hard to miss. In 2016, he said, so-called identity politics distracted from what he called the real issues, like economic injustice and the decline of organized labor. But this week, Sanders called Trump a racist, pushed for an end to private prisons, endorsed a constitutional amendment guaranteeing the right to vote, and advocated for an end to the cash bail system. Sanders spoke at two black churches, mingled with supporters at a barbecue joint, and met with South Carolina's Legislative Black Caucus, which overwhelmingly rejected him three years ago in favor of Hillary Clinton. Sanders was one of several Democrats in South Carolina for MLK Day, too, including Cory Booker. Kamala Harris is having her first early rally in the Palmetto State on Friday. It shows how the South Carolina primary is taking on an outsized significance in the 2020 fight. It's still 405 days away. It's fourth on the calendar behind Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, but as black voters have become an increasingly crucial Democratic constituency, 
South Carolina looms large. The winner there will enter the Super Tuesday contests on March 3rd with a big burst of momentum. A third of the delegates to the Democratic Convention will be up for grabs that day, including California and Texas. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, January 23rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.